Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Each week, Jess Gedeke chats with world-class brand professionals to bring you the story behind the story of some of the most breakthrough innovations, marketing tactics, and campaigns. Hi, everybody. I'm Jess Gedeke here with the Dig In podcast. And today I'm joined by Danielle Cooper-Smith, Associate Director of Marketing from the Kraft Heinz Company. Welcome, Danielle. So glad that you're here. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Today, we're going to get the inside scoop on a pretty spicy brand partnership. Everyone's going to get that pun here in a second, but can't wait to hear that story. Before we get into the story, though, Danielle, can you tell us a little bit about your background and where you're coming from? Yes, definitely. So as Jess mentioned, I'm Danielle Cooper-Smith. I currently reside in Chicago. I've lived all over the place, but I've spent my career at Kraft Heinz. So um, I'll talk you through a few career highlights, but outside of work, I'm also a huge foodie. So food is a very important part of my life, both at work as well as outside. Uh, so I started my career at Kraft Heinz on the Oscar Mayer brand, first working on a bunch of innovation and renovation, really focused on cleaning up our hot dogs. Obviously, hot dogs have some baggage with them. So that was a really cool project to work on. Uh, spent a few years on the Planters Nuts brand. Uh, really working to drive the cool factor and differentiation on a highly commoditized category like nuts. Everyone thinks like, oh, a peanut is a peanut. So it was really cool to think about how consumers could view those differently. Spent a few years then on the craft mayonnaise business. I know mayo isn't necessarily the sexiest category, but it was a really fun one to work on as a number two player in the category. You got to really play with that challenger mindset do some things that pushed the boundaries, took risks, and brought excitement to a category that didn't experience it. Um, then moved over to the Grey Poupon world, uh, redefining what luxury means. If anyone's seen the old Grey Poupon ads where it's all about a guy in a Rolls Royce with a British accent who's very proper, that doesn't resonate today with millennials. That's not what luxury means today. So really working on repositioning a legacy brand uh, to what treating yourself means today, savoring with a glass of wine and cheese, et cetera. And then today I'm an associate director on what we call our portfolio brands team on our taste elevation platform. I think of it as anything that you can add to food to make it taste great. So it's a combination right now of some really big, high investment, cool brands, which we'll talk about today, like Taco Bell, uh, as well as a bunch of legacy brands that are really in that reinvention phase, driving relevance for today's consumer in this ever-changing world. So brands like A1 Steak Sauce, Lee and Perrin's Worcestershire, Grey Poupon still, um, Shake and Bake, and some others too. So it's a really cool mixture of brands. I think one of the things I'm most passionate about is driving relevance with consumers, even if the brand might be a little sleepier or have some baggage from the past, finding ways to connect with today's consumers in creative ways. So you've worked on some of the coolest brands ever. And if <laughs> I could just summarize, I just was jotting down your background. Okay. So here's yeah. your resume highlights. Addressing hot dog baggage. Yes. Creating a cool factor for nuts. Making mayo sexy. <laughs> redefining luxury in terms of mustard. And now taste elevation. That, that's some pretty cool, legit career highlights, Danielle. I'm kind of jealous. Thank you. You you just wrote my new elevator pitch for me. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, didn't even use AI. It was all me. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to start with a quick impromptu question, which uh, this one is perfect because you're a foodie. Awesome. Which beverage goes best with pizza? Oh, that's a good one. So 
maybe I'm a foodie. I'm not so much of a beverage person. So I drink water with literally (laughs) everything, which is kind of boring. But I do love a good cider with pizza. Hard ciders have become very trendy. And I feel like I'm not a beer drinker. So cider and experimenting with different flavor combinations there has been a lot of fun. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so uh, cider cider with you with your pie. Well, let's we let's get in. Let's yeah, let's let's dig in if we can. So you know that our listeners they really crave inspiration from other leaders, and I think one of the best ways to inspire is to tell a story. And you are integral in the partnership between Taco Bell and Kraft Heinz and bringing that brand into retail channels. So tell us that story. Go back to the origination of that idea. Kind of who brought this up? What was the inspiration for it? Go back to the beginning if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. So actually Kraft Heinz and Taco Bell have been partnering for over 20 years, but it was kind of a partnership that not much had happened on. It was one of those businesses that kind of ran itself, not too much investment, engagement, collaboration. So then I came over to this taste elevation world um, about a year and a half, two years ago and started working on this business and really noticed some interesting trends. So obviously, if anyone has followed anything on TikTok, Taco Bell is like the brand for Gen Z. I feel like Taco Bell has really made itself a cultural icon in the past couple of years, finding an authentic way to connect, whether it's Doja Cat announcing the return of Mexican pizza or... Uh, I mean, I literally see people getting married at Taco Bell. It's a level of a brand that it's hard, it's hard to create that kind of connection with consumers, and they've mastered it. And then at the same time as we've seen the retail environment develop, we've seen a couple of things that made this an extremely attractive partnership. First, Mexican officially surpassed Italian as the most preferred food in the country, both at home and away from home, which Italian has held that role forever. So that was huge. And then post-pandemic, we've seen consumers who started cooking more at home in the pandemic stay at home even more, but they still want those restaurant flavors. So it's kind of this perfect combination of the Gen Z relevance and a really authentic, cool brand, the Mexican, the growth of the Mexican um, taste profile, and then looking for restaurant experiences at home. We kind of knew we had a gem here and a brand that could be incredibly relevant in the retail space. So decided to double down. I will say it was a lot easier said than done at the beginning because we historically hadn't had a close partnership with Taco Bell, even though we had the business. It had been kind of a transactional type of partnership, a string of short-term contracts and relationship, not a ton of investment on either side. So at the beginning, it was really about showing Taco Bell and really partnering together on why retail could be an integral part of their strategy. Because obviously for them, restaurants are are the core. So we had to show them, here's why retail is relevant and not only relevant, how it actually could help them grow their business and drive that top of mind awareness too. So it really was a year and a half or two years in the making to get to where we are today, um, lining to a long-term partnership takes us for over 10 years and not just a transaction anymore, two-way strategy sharing, learning what is challenging for them so we can help them and vice versa, um, scaling those QSR equities, joint ideation. It's it's really, really fun to see how the partnership has evolved. And with that, um, both companies winning together. So I can't even imagine how fun it must have been to immerse yourself in that consumer, right? Yeah. This Gen Z, like kind of cult following yeah. that, that Taco Bell has. And and like you said, scaling the QSR equities into retail. And I'm kind of picturing this 
maybe, you know, like Gen Z's that are leaving the household for the first time and kind of living on their own. And what better brand to welcome into their home than buying Taco Bell at retail? It's just brilliant. It checks so many boxes from a strategic standpoint. Yeah, it's it's a really cool one because Gen Z already loves the brand. They know what it's supposed to taste like. But as they're going to college or starting their first job after leaving their house, we've learned that Gen Z really does not know how to cook or their way around the kitchen at all. So giving them a product that has flavors that they already, they kind of know what it's supposed to taste like, but then at home, they could give it their own customized spin. It makes it into a social type of gathering. We've seen Gen Z when they're doing like, I mean, you might've seen on TikTok, they do a million crunch wrap challenges and things like that already. So let's give them the tools they need to be able to do that at home. And I mean, when we talk to Gen Z about Taco Bell and retail, I think every single time they are just like, oh my gosh, now I can have my favorite food in even more locations. So it's it's a really fun one. I, I've definitely gotten really into the depths of TikTok to learn about Gen Z cooking habits too. You have to. No, you have to. And speaking of Gen Z can't cook, um, amen. And my daughter, I had to really spend some time this weekend in explaining that she can make her own hard-boiled eggs, <laughs> that it's about 15 minutes from start to finish and that she can in fact do it. So she's a, she's a, an expert now. So you had a lot of steps in your go-to-market, I'm sure. And so did you leverage any new tools or approaches or frameworks that helped you get to market in a successful way? Yeah. I mean, to me, I think the biggest thing was really listening and taking the time to listen to Taco Bell. I think we could have made this whole plan and strategy in a silo, done it the way that was perfect for with a traditional go-to-market framework, but really listening to those experts on this consumer on their brand and hearing where they've struggled before helped us identify how we can make this a one plus one equals more than two kind of partnership. And I feel like I I know a lot of marketers want to just like dive in, heads down, go to work. And I think taking that time to step back, listen, and almost like build the partnership from the ground up together. I mean, there were whiteboarding sessions. There were so many workshops. Just learning from each other, I think, was the biggest piece. So not exactly a framework, but I think it was... It was a different approach than I've seen for a lot of brands where you're building it from scratch. Definitely. And you mentioned that you could learn, you had the benefit of learning for where Taco Bell may have stumbled in the past. And so I'd love to hear about some of those stumbles, either something you learned from them or something in your own journey of taking this to market, what barriers you faced or setbacks that you had to kind of push through. Yeah. So I'll actually talk a little bit about um, us and as we've been refining our portfolio and learning from our past with Taco Bell, where it was kind of just chilling there as a business at Kraft Heinz. And now it's now it's a real thing. So um, I think one thing that we noticed as we looked back into the archives on the Taco Bell business in retail, we had a lot of different products that kind of made sense for a traditional taco night. A lot of Me Too products, though. We had um, the basic tortillas, the basic beans, the basic salsa, And really, as we look at like what was performing for us, it was those restaurant sauces, which have that Taco Bell equity. So I think one of the biggest learnings that we learned from our our past, too, is that where we win is when we can bring as much of that Taco Bell equity to retail. And that means making some hard choices. That means we might leave some categories that are those traditional family taco night staples in favor of what's going to resonate with the consumer in a bigger way. So um, you might see some interesting changes to our portfolio in the next uh, six plus months, but they're all made 
to really be focused on the Gen Z consumer and giving them those Taco Bell favorites that they love rather than just being a me too in the aisle. So I think that was obviously that's challenging because it's easy to follow the the well-known playbook, but really staying true to our roots, we had to we had to take the step back and really think critically about our portfolio. Well, I can't wait to see what's coming in the next uh, six months. I'm going to be keeping my eye on that. Yeah, you'll see some cool stuff in market soon. I'm excited. Jealous of your job. You get to know before we all do. (laughs) So how do you define success for this type of initiative? When did you know that this was a success? Yeah, so I think for me, there was the the tangible success milestone, which was, of course, getting a long-term contract signed. That was something we worked toward. But for me, I think what was even more exciting was some of the first times that Taco Bell QSR, which if I didn't say what QSR meant before, it means quick service restaurant. So I might say that a few times here. But the first times that Taco Bell QSR actually brought us ideas proactively, I think that to me was such a change in tune, not just, oh, hey, retail's this like little transactional leg over here, but really, hey, retail's a partner that we can work together to win. It showed true engagement in the brand and that was that was definitely one of the most fulfilling moments for me. I think also um, when I started the partnership, there were things that we might have suggested to Taco Bell that they might have laughed at, been like, "No, we would never do that." And building building the dynamic together and getting approval on things and ideas for things that we thought were not going to be possible. I can't say too much because some of them are around some cool innovation launching in the next six months. But I think. Those innovation getting to market is a huge milestone that will be coming up too. And what would you say is your biggest takeaway from this experience? Yeah, I mean, there's. I feel like I've learned more from this experience than anything in my career. Uh, when I first pitched making Taco Bell a priority and betting big on this business, I got laughed out of the room from probably both Taco Bell and Kraft Heinz several times because this was a huge change. It's reinventing a relationship, driving a commitment a long-term partnership and investment on a brand that Kraft Heinz didn't own, but it was the right move for the consumer, for the retail environment. The potential was so massive. So I think persevering and really listening to all of the different stakeholders, hearing their skepticisms and attacking them head on rather than just shying away and giving up on the challenge, I think was important. So it kind of goes back to that point from earlier that I think just like actually listening and not just like bulldozing through or putting the square peg in the round hole, but like taking that time to like absorb the pushback, absorb the challenges and craft my plan accordingly. I think that was one of the biggest learnings from this whole experience. Well, I love that for a lot of reasons, but one is this idea of how you build conviction for an idea that might seem a little bit out there, a little bit too forward thinking. You have to bring people along with you. And I think it's a wonderful example of how listening and being empathetic to their concerns and situation, and then kind of moving forward together. So those are wonderful lessons all wrapped up into that. that Thank initiative. you. Well, congrats again on such a great partnership. And again, I'm, I know my daughter is going to be a beneficiary <laughs> of taking that, that brand to retail. Yeah, I've never eaten so much Taco Bell and I'm, I'm loving it. It's on our, our, our annual, our, or sorry, our weekly rotation now at my household, um, both for the QSR as well as the at home. So a lot of yeah, really cool stuff yeah. coming from the brand. Well, I'm sure they're grateful to earn another household. So <laughs> it's all coming full circle. Awesome. Um, so let's turn to you as a, as a leader, as a, as a thought leader and a leader in your organization. What would you say is one of your more passionate or even controversial opinions about the state of innovation today? So for me, ideas speak louder than budget is like one of my biggest catchphrases with my team. 
I think we often get so preoccupied by how much spend we have for a brand. And if I don't have a big spend, then I can't execute a big program or I can't have a huge reach. But I think we need, we can't let that be a crutch for us as marketers. Uh, I've seen as long as it's based on such on a true insight or something that's culturally relevant, you can do something massive and make huge impressions without any dollars. So I, I think I have a couple examples of things we've done lately. We um, on a, Lee and Perrins is one of my brands. It's a Worcestershire sauce. I'm guessing probably three quarters of the people listening to this don't really know what to do with Worcestershire sauce, but it's actually like that secret ingredient in so many different dishes. And one of those is Bloody Mary's. Bloody Marys are having obviously a huge moment right now. Um, I feel like I see a different over the top Bloody Mary on Instagram every day. So we decided, hey, people should know that Lee and Perrins and Worcestershire sauce is that secret ingredient there. So we partnered with a beverage company and launched a Lee and Perrins Bloody Mary mix, uh, partnered then with a restaurant that has a number of trendy locations across the country and did a special menu. And that pretty much had a $0 spend but because it was so relevant, because we worked with the right partners and it was such a true insight, it made a huge impact. And we're seeing that brand starting to grow again. So I think we just you just have to have your ear on culture and really know those true insights about the brand. But then you can do so much without a huge budget. I think, yeah, we, we can't get lost in, oh, if I don't have a big budget, I can't do anything on this brand. I love that. And just that story itself is going to be so helpful to listeners. We know so many of our, our clients that are in innovation or insights, they do work with brands that have a limited budget. And I love me some LMP. I think I told you, I used to do a lot of work on that brand yeah. early in my career. So I've got a soft spot for it. But I love this idea of ideas speak louder than budget. And if you're staying true to that insight, especially a cultural insight, because those are the things that are going to be adopted in people's lives and get the brand affinity that you're looking for. I love it. Just that was such a great lesson. So thank you for sharing that. Awesome. Yeah, no problem. I think it's easy when you work on a big brand and have millions and millions of dollars. It's almost harder and you learn more from working on those small brands. But then it's so rewarding when you can make a splash or get that news headline and you didn't spend much. I mean, that's to me, that's like almost the most rewarding thing you can do as a marketer. Absolutely. And what types of new tools or approaches or frameworks do you see as being really valuable these days? Like which, what's having the most impact? Yeah. So to me, it's really getting a close understanding about what a consumer cares about and building a playbook based off of that. So uh, for example, Gen Z is going to want to see innovation and understand messages from a brand in a completely different way than any other generation. We see Gen Z doesn't like being talked at by brands. So if I just apply a traditional marketing playbook or even go-to-market playbook for innovation, that's not going to resonate. I need to show up where they are, whether that's doing a launch or a tasting on a college campus instead of a traditional grocery store, whether that is using influencers to launch a program or a, a item and not having any traditional paid social media. That I think is so, so crucial. And it's not always easy because we don't always know what this new consumer cares about, but really looking at where do they care about trends. I think another piece of this is like, whereas previously we might've been driving the trends from retail initially, what we're seeing now is that the away from home environment is driving a lot of those trends. So having our pulse on the restaurant environment, because that's where this, these new consumers care about. I think that that is um, very important, just continuing to evolve and not be set in the traditional playbook ways. Sure. 
Yeah, we believe in that pretty wholeheartedly here at DIG. You know, capturing consumers out there in the wild where they're making their impulse decisions, where they're interacting with brands, you have to think differently because it's not the traditional go-to-market, you're going to launch and everyone's going to be watching Jeopardy and everyone's <laughs> going to see that same commercial, right? It's, it's not that way anymore. So yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, grateful that there's leaders like you that are leading the thinking on how to evolve the go-to-market. Um, so what's your hot take on the future of the CPG industry? Like, what do you think? Where do you think it's headed? I think, I mean, there are so many different directions I could go with this one. One of the really interesting insights that I have noticed lately is the power of nostalgia. I think it's actually hilarious that Gen Z is like nostalgic for products that came out before they were even alive. So while I think like over the past, say, 10 years, some of the biggest booming brands have been some of those new startups or um, those like hot items that are brand new to the world. I actually think that there might be a big opportunity for some of those incumbents to kind of dust themselves off and reinvent themselves in a bigger way. We're seeing it with cereal brands frequently, and I could see that expand to other categories. I know, I mean, half the brands that I manage today had a couple years ago predominantly boomer consumers. And if we can find ways to make some of those older brands, those brands that maybe your parents or grandparents loved before, um, relevant for this new generation in that nostalgic way, I think there's a huge untapped opportunity and potentially even a lower barrier to entry than just creating a new brand and slapping a new brand out there into the world too. Sure. So um, yeah. it's been cool to see that happen in some categories. And I think that that's going to continue to grow and explode. It's not just about new brands. It's about how do we make those old brands, those tried and trues relevant for consumers, especially in the chaos of today's world, that comfort nostalgic aspect is more relevant than ever. Oh my gosh, that's so fascinating. And, and I agree that the power of nostalgia, I think, is one of the you know, brand levers that you can pull in a way that's just so different and yeah. so much more meaningful. And uh, it's so true that there's nostalgia for brands that <laughs> they don't even know about. Like, you know, any uh, like fashion retailer that you go into that's sort of geared towards Gen Z, how many t-shirts are there with brands that like, you know, these kids have never tried totally. in their lives, but all of a sudden they want to wear that t-shirt and yeah, that's so funny. And you're so right. A lower barrier to entry then it's, it's very difficult to create a brand new brand these days. Why not, you know, leverage some of the, the equity from decades past and reinvent it in a new way. I, I love that. That's a great hot take. Thank you for that. Of course. Okay, Danielle, we're going to move to the final dig. This is all about you as a person, as a consumer. So no right or wrong answers. You just give us the straight stuff. Awesome. Um, So what's the last product or service you bought on Impulse? So this one's always funny because I'm I'm a marketer. So I know when I'm being marketed at. And I also know when things are literally set up for impulse buys. And I still cave every (laughs) single time. Anytime there's a cool display in the grocery store, I will nine times out of 10 buy from it. So uh, and I also go grocery shopping hungry a lot, so it's not a great combination. Mm, uh, so yeah. I usually what I impulse buy is in the sweets category, and it's usually a type of twist on a product I love because I'm like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. I have to try it. So I know this past weekend I bought some Reese's Pieces stuffed jumbo Reese's because it was like a twist on some stuff that I loved. Wow. Um, okay. And then I bought the Ben & Jerry's ice cream, Sammy ice cream. Cause I love ice cream sandwiches. And I was like, that would be cool in an ice cream too. So mm-hmm. uh, it's usually like some fun, unexpected combination on a dessert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, those are good ones. If you're going to impulse buy something, make it really enjoyable like that. So um, I don't hate that. 
What is a category or a brand or a product that you could rationalize any price point for? You just have to have it in your life. Yeah. So uh, it's a very random one and another like not necessarily traditionally sexy category that I feel like this brand has done a great job in making it really relevant for my lifestyle. Uh, It's Fairlife Milk. So Mm -hmm. this is a product I literally don't even look at the price. I just grab it because I'm so loyal to it. I was never really a milk drinker. I only use it in coffee, but I literally could never get through a milk jug before it expires. So I love that Fairlife has the freshness, higher protein, naturally lactose-free. And I honestly, it's like made me use milk even more. So this is, it's, it's a really cool product because it just, it checks so many of those boxes in my life. And that package design is so disruptive in yes. that category. And I love that part of the story. But yeah, excellent. Excellent example. Fair life. And this one's my favorite. We all know brands have distinct personalities. So what's a brand that you would like to date? And what's a brand that you would love to marry? Yeah, I, I liked this question. It was one I had not thought of before. So you made me ponder. And I I, I thought it was a fun one. So uh, I would probably say Oreo. So I love Oreo because it's it's always dependable. It, it, I've loved it since I was a child. It's been the consistent taste the entire time. And I know that if it's Oreo and ice cream or in another dessert, I know I'm going to love it. But it's still there's still always constantly something new and exciting, whether it's one of the LTOs, whether it's a new flavor, a new usage occasion. It's like dependable, but also keeps things interesting too, which I love. So you would both date and marry Oreo. Like this is the, the same brand that you're falling in love with and spending your life with. Exactly. Exactly. The adventurous yeah. spirit of all of the mm-hmm. new different flavors would probably make me intrigued at the beginning. And then the dependability would, would seal the deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a great one. I also am picking up on quite a sweet tooth. Danielle. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's totally fair. It's totally funny. Fair game. I've never actually worked on a sweets or desserts brand. So oh, uh, maybe that's why. Maybe I have sort of a fascination with it maybe. from an innovation and marketing standpoint. Yeah. Well, given your roster of brands, I'm sure you will make your way around to <laughs> a sweet at, at some point. Um, and I can tell that you love what you do, but what do you love most about your job? So for me, I think one of the, how I often describe my job for people who don't really know exactly what brand management is, and it's also the reason why I love it, is I describe it as 50% marketing. So everything that goes into marketing from building brand foundations, propositions, advertising, consumer understanding, innovation, but then also 50% being the CEO of my businesses as well. And what I love with that balance is I can drive those short-term results, see the impact of actions, but also have room to dream and sculpt the future for a lot of these brands too. Um, And it lets you sculpt every different touch point for the brand. Obviously, yes, there's the, the consumer piece of what should this brand stand for? How should it communicate? But I mean, price point where it's shelved on shelf, that also is how a brand shows up for a consumer. So I love that I get kind of that head in the clouds, but also feet on the ground kind of um, experience in in brand management and also makes it so I'm literally never bored because there's always something going on, whether it's it's far out brand strategy or close in. How do we learn from the pandemic and adjust to consumer trends? That's fantastic. And you're just so thoughtful on, you know, what you've learned from these different experiences and, and tying them together. So I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I know that our listeners have taken away some great lessons as well. So I really appreciate you being here and sharing your story. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about anything marketing, food, and brand management related. So this this was a fun, fun afternoon discussion. Excellent. Well, I'll have to have you back once you launch these new items so we can get the background story on them. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, there will be lots to share once the, once the big reveal happens for those items. So keep an eye on your Mexican section of your grocery store over the next few months. I certainly will. I certainly will. Well, thank you so much for being here and thank you everyone for tuning in to Dig In. We'll see you next time. Like what you heard? Share the inspiration or head to diginsights.com to learn more about what we do. 